Welcome back to the Pop Topic Podcast. Instead of us doing the normal, going through all the trending stories and news, we're here to discuss the most trending film of 2021 and really of the last four years. This trilogy has become quite a staple to at least our podcast and I'm sure everybody's households. Uh, so we're going to take a break from Pop Topic. This is a bonus episode and we're here to discuss everyone's beloved franchise, the Kissing Booth Trilogy. And to break this down with us is, of course, the Kissing Booth Trilogy expert and their biggest stan, Tristan Philipson. How are you doing this week? I'm doing great. I'm, I'm super excited to be sitting here talking about the Kissing Booth with you. And when you're talking about how this is going to be one of the best trilogies of recent time, this, this is a trilogy up there with the best of the trilogies at this point, all right? We're talking Lord of the Rings, the original Star Wars trilogy, Jurassic Park, Dark Knight, Kissing Booth, you know, like Trilogy Hall of Fame type level trilogy we got here in our hands. Yeah, if we had to do like a Mountain Rushmore of the top four trilogies ever in film, this would definitely top it, right? It, it, the top four would have to be Lord of the Rings, OG Star Wars, Spider-Man, and then of course, Kissing Booth. I think that's pretty obvious. I always think it's uh, very close. Mine would have been uh, the same three as yours, Lord of the Rings, Star Wars, Kissing Booth. Uh, but then instead of Spider-Man, we would have done Back to the Future. I think uh, I think that's pretty solid. I thought you were about to say Godfather. That's <laughs> no. probably another contender. Yeah, that would have been good too. Uh, it, a little drops a bit in the third one, but uh, Kissing Booth yeah. has no drop-off. It only rises. Oh, and there's there's no question about whether Kissing Booth is on there for sure. That's like the George Washington at this point. It's guaranteed. <laughs> George, yeah. Yeah, I think this is the first time anyone has ever once said the kissing booth is the George Washington, but there you have it. There you go. You heard it here first, guys. Yeah, so the kissing booth trilogy, it is a wild ride. Is this one of the most watched trilogies? All three of these are, like, watched by tons of people. Honestly, it's sad because it might be up there. Yeah. I have no idea the actual numbers. Yeah, like, unfortunately, I do think this is probably, like, I'm sure if you sat people down and said, okay, have you seen the Back to the Future trilogy or the Kissing Booth trilogy? I think more people are going to say Kissing Booth. Well, in all fairness, Quentin, you haven't seen like the Lord of the Rings trilogy or the Godfather trilogy. That's I've true. never seen the third Back to the Future. That's true. There's and lots of trilogies, but we knew have both seen, seen this. all three of these. Yeah, yeah, we've seen this. That's all that matters. I'm slowly working through the Lord of the Rings trilogies. I saw the first one like a month ago, and I'm, I still have to see the, the other two. Uh, but I watched these three bad boys. I watched uh, the, the first and second one for the second time. Uh, I'm, I'm not I'm not afraid to admit that. You should be. <laughs> yeah, I had to rewatch them to get uh, you know to refresh my mind on uh, you know how fantastic these movies were, and I wanted to watch these two films before I watched the third one, to really see how everything was set up and how everything paid off. You, have, you want to remember everything going to the third one. You want to be confused for the first time minutes. Exactly. No, that'd be the worst to, like, watch. And there's, there's no wasted time in these movies to help, you know, jog your memory. They just go right into the thick of things, all right? Yeah, they have, like, they don't, great, they don't follow yeah. up with any, you know, fast-play montages catching up on what happened in the previous movies. It's just right to the plot. No, exactly. Yeah, there's definitely no montages in these movies. No, there's no, there's not a minute wasted in this film. Every second utilized to its fullest. Yeah, yeah. All three of them have a montage, which is fantastic. I um, think this one has five montages in the first twenty minutes. I think I heard that stat somewhere. <laughs> I believe it. I believe it. 
Uh, but yeah, this yeah. is definitely the trilogy. Is this trilogy going to bring back montages? I feel like we don't have those anymore in movies. Maybe TV Does shows. Does this trilogy ways. hold the record for most montages in the trilogy? Uh, in film, absolutely. Like maybe a television show has more montages, like to like summarize each season uh, to catch you back up on the uh, on the premiere for each uh, new season. But for film, yeah, absolutely. I guess it has to have the most. There's so many. Yeah, and and, and I would say they're they're pretty iconic, especially the first movie. Uh, but all of them are pretty great. And but they really they they the thing is they use montages because they have to. The plot is too thick that if they were to flesh everything out, it'd be way too long of a movie. There's way too many moving pieces here, Quentin. That's because yeah. the the plot in this movie makes makes Citizen Kane look simple. All right, this thing this thing makes Mank look 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 like it's bare bones and no plot involved. This one's too thick. This one's got so much going on. I I completely agree. Also. The montages do a great job to really let me know all the Halloween costumes Elle wears uh, in her youth, which is very important yeah. information. And how they would always go get ice cream after any time anything bad happens. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's one of the old trusted rules here. Yeah, and speaking of rules, how they have so many goddamn rules. Yeah, they're, 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 pretty, they're pretty obnoxious about this, no, for sure. For, for no reason. There, there's no reason to have rules. They just make them up and, and live by them because they could. Yeah, no, their rules are... Might, might be one of my most... Un, like, the most unlikable thing about them. One of many, but it, it drives me nuts. Oh, th th yeah, there's a, there's a lot of things to dislike about these characters. Yeah. Uh, so we can go through each of the films, uh, truly analyze the, the depths that these movies bring, and maybe see if we can come up with an overarching story for these three movies. Because I don't know if there is any. I don't know if there is an overarching theme that these three movies bring, but they're there. That's a good point. I don't think there's an overarching theme. No. I, <laughs> I have no idea what these movies are trying to say. Yeah, I don't know. I think, uh, yeah, yeah, I'm not quite so sure. But uh, we can start with the first film. Uh, and the first movie, really, uh, the best scene of the entire movie is in the first five minutes. And I believe me and you were talking about this years ago, Tristan. Has there ever been a movie that starts at its peak in the beginning? We thought Dark Knight is pretty close with the epic bank heists film. But I would say this movie is the one example where it absolutely peaks in the first five minutes. After that, you don't need to watch it. I recommend people to watch the first five minutes and to not even bother with the rest of the movie. Now, that's how much I love the first five minutes. Uh, yeah, the, the rest of the film's whatever. The first five minutes is pretty legendary. It's uh, it's really something to behold. If you have five minutes to spare, it's on Netflix. If you watch the first five minutes and no go, this movie's will be absolutely amazing, you're not going to like the movie. No, and even if you do go, oh, this is absolutely amazing, you're still not going to like the movie, but at least you acknowledge. But, but if you think that, you got to continue watching. Yeah, you, yeah, you got to know the true story. Yeah, it's really You want to know what happened. Yeah, but no, uh, the montage is fantastic. Uh, it's the wildest clip, maybe in all of film. I cannot believe this exists. Who made this, Tristan? The montage is like a quick 30 seconds of, I dressed up as Bo Peep, my... Friend Lee dressed up as the Black Swan. I got a Barbie doll for Christmas. And then it cuts to extremely sad music. And my mom is in the hospital. And she's really sad. And it, like, it goes back and forth between super upbeat to super depressing. For no reason. 
Yeah, it doesn't like it, and it, it just jumps back and forth from sad to happy, sad to happy, sad to happy all the time, uh, with really no rhyme or reason. And it's sort of just like listing. It's not really like telling you what happens or why these things are happening. It's kind of just listing off what's happening, um, which I feel like most of it doesn't really become relevant ever in the movies. Even her mom dying never really becomes that relevant in any of the films. You know, we could just took oh her mom's dead. You know, we didn't really need this montage. Showing step by step what happened to her mother. Um, I guess supposed to provide background to these characters, but then they're so monotone and flaccid after that that having them have elaborate backstories feels almost pointless. Yeah. Here's literally a line of the montage. First Christmas I remember, I was six. I got a Barbie dance party. Lee got a scooter. Broke my leg riding Lee's scooter. Dressed as a cowboy for Halloween. Lee went as a doctor. Learned how to ride a bike. Learned how to swim. Found out that my mom was sick. Went to visit her in the hospital. That is literally a mo moment in the montage. What did you learn from this moment, Tristan? That she has, a, that Lee has a scooter and she dressed up as a cowboy? Like, well, this added nothing. None of it ever becomes relevant. Uh, we never hear again how she about how she broke her leg. They, we never see his scooter, I don't think. Or if we do, it's not in any sort of meaningful way. None of this matters. But that's showbiz, baby. That's how they roll here at the Kissing Booth. Yeah, I'm literally obsessed with that montage. It is so... Like, and the more you, like, read the lines and you listen to it over and over, like, the funnier it is. It is absolutely wild. Because it adds nothing. And the first time you watch it, you go, oh, wow. They're really putting emphasis on just how bubbly and great her life is, but how sad it is that her mom's in the hospital. That's going to be the crutch of the story. That she's going to have, like, to pretend that she has this bubbly, great life in front of everybody, but she has a sick mother in the hospital, and that's going to be the emotional climax of the entire movie. Nope. She dies in the montage. This mother has oh, nothing yeah, yeah. to She's do with it. before the movie starts. <laughs> yeah. Like, her mom isn't in the movie. She's not in the trilogy. She has no impact. It's, it's wild. It's hilarious. Yeah, the entire montage is completely pointless. Yeah. Uh, but I think that, that also does a uh, reflect most in what the editing style for the entire trilogy is like where there's lots of just random shit that doesn't really feel super meaningful to the movie they probably could have taken a lot of parts out but they very clearly want to hit some sort of runtime or at least make it feel more than just a very simple movie especially the first one for being simple and then the second and third one kind of go off the fucking rails but yeah th this montage much like the trilogy completely random and if you don't love random shit just for being random you're not gonna like these movies yeah, and this movie is very much like a YouTube video, where it's like fast cuts, random gargle, things that have absolutely yeah, it, nothing it to feels, do. It feels amateurish. And it's a, I think that's the vibe of it. I think it's supposed to sort of feel like she's making it or something like that. You know, at least I got that kind of vibe off of it. Well, she's, well, she's definitely the narrator, yeah. Yeah. And it's, it seems like it's following her train of thought, and her train of thought is super sporadic. Yeah. And so it's edited in this way to reflect her. And I think this is why it was a successful trilogy quote-unquote because a lot of people watched it because this is really the youth it's like watching a youtube video as a movie it's like fast cuts that really amount to nothing and don't have any overarching story but it just feels so quick and fast-paced that you feel like a lot's going on when there really isn't it's true it, it's very obvious that this movie was tailor-made for an audience that grew up with cell phones and the very short attention span and moving from one vine or tiktok to the next rapid succession and fast and so this movie just throws a bunch of shit at you, 100 miles an hour, all with the same characters and, and themes and, and, and 
style of one another, but it just keeps throwing shit at you to keep you engaged. And none of it really carries over too too much further than like the one scene they're relevant in. Yeah, this feels like a lot of those successful YouTube channels like Good Mythical Morning, or I'm sure there's other channels I can have in mind here, where they do a bunch of weird little games or mini games, but at the end of the week, when you go, when you reflect on what you just watched, you just went, oh, it's just people doing stuff. Like, nothing changed. Yeah. <laughs> we just watched him do a bunch of weird things. Oh, she got her skirt ripped. Whoa-oh. But that doesn't really amount to anything in the actual story. It was just a fun 10-minute segment. Yeah, a really good beginning to the film. It got me. It got me. I was just going to throw it on and waiting until Andrew got home. Um, but I definitely was like hooked once I saw that montage. I was like, man, I got to watch this entire trilogy now. Um, yeah. One thing I noticed in the first movie, at least, when I was watching this, uh, you know, for my second time, is that they really sexualize Elle in this one. They don't do it as much in the second and third one. But in this one, she like rips her pants. Uh-oh. Now she's drunk and she's taking her shirt off. Uh-oh. She got paint on her shirt now. She's got to take it off. Uh-oh. Like, it's, she takes a lot of clothes off in this movie. Yeah, the first one very much feels, I think this sort of goes into that, more like there's a, a, a normal rom-com. You know, it feels more like a, a standard, you know, modern-day rom-com. With the silly jokes and the sexualization and, you know, the flirtiness between all the characters, even if they don't end up together and things like that. It feels like a standard rom-com, where after that, the second and third one feels more just like melodramatic teenage dramas. Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, it, it was very weird. This one is the more traditional of the three. It definitely just feels like some teen rom-com you'd find on like the disney channel or you know on any other Netflix yeah movie. it feels sort of like one of those disney channel movies from the early 2000s it's like your standard high school romance movie with some quirky plots and uh, so we should probably go over the plot in case people who don't know what the movie's about Quentin, you want to give them a quick rundown of the first one yeah it'd be a pretty quick rundown it is pretty much Elle and her best friend Lee, if you listen to the montage, they've been BFFs since they were born. And apparently, these two made themselves a set of rules. One of the rules being you cannot date each other's relatives, which seems like a pretty simple rule. But Elle, ooh, ooh, this is a tough one for her because she really likes Lee's brother Noah. And so this really leads to the uh, trifecta that is Elle, Noah, and Lee and... Uh, L has to balance her relationship with Lee while secretly dating his brother Noah. And that's uh, that, that's pretty much the climax here. Yeah, that's the plot of the first one. So she's going behind his back and dating him. And other movies have had this plot. I know Edge of 17, a significantly better um, teenage rom-com movie, had basically the same plot, um, except it was better in almost every conceivable way. <laughs> that's hard to imagine. This plot. You haven't heard of Edge of 17? Well, it's hard. Oh, I haven't seen I've heard of it. I, oh, I know it, Woody Harrelson's really in it. From me? I know Woody Harrelson's in it. Oh, is he? I can't remember. I remember it has a, uh, the guy from Glee was in it. Okay. Yeah, no, I'm pretty sure Woody Harrelson's in it. And I also know the lead girl uh, was also the lead girl in True Grit in the 2010 film that the Coens and made. And she was also in something else. And she's fantastic in True Grit. I wasn't a big fan of that film, but she was my favorite part by far. She was and she wasn't even nominated because she was, like, so young as her first film. Really pissed me off because she was fantastic in it. Uh, so I did hear, when I heard that she was the lead in Edge of Seventeen, I was, um, I'm interested in checking it out. I, I'm, I imagine it'll be good. 
I really enjoy it. Yeah, uh, yeah, this is a pretty simple storyline. Uh, it's called The Kissing Booth. At least it ha- the, the title works for this movie. It, it works less and less for each movie as we go on here, guys. But this movie, at least, Lee and L, which, by the way, have very similar names. It's kind of frustrating to discuss it here. It is. But yeah. uh, at least Noah's a bit different. But yeah, Lee and L are making a kissing booth for a as like a project for the school for their big event and they end up kissing people at the booth at the end that's pretty much that whole storyline but at least it's actually intricate to the story they got to get noah to join the kissing booth they're trying to get the omg girls they're trying to set this up at least it's a storyline yeah and once again it follows more of a normal like teenage rom-com type storyline it most takes place at the high school where's the Knicks two are very rarely out of the high school, especially the third one. I don't think the high school's in it at all. No. Yeah, the first one, and as far as being actually good movies, the first one's probably the best one. Yeah, I think the first one is the most normal movie of the three. Yeah, and, I think the second's my yeah. favorite overall. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get into it. I have famously hated the second one, but uh, on a rewatch, I, I have fallen in love with it. But... I don't know. I, one and two is a toss-up. A one as a whole is pretty generic, except for the absolute peak that is the montage. It's still my favorite scene of all three trilo- of all yeah, three of the films. That's fair. But a two has more like reasons for me to ever visit it again. Like it's very wacky. Yeah, and I think the best way for the, if you guys still haven't seen the movies, um, we obviously just went over the plot of the first one. So we're going to go over the plot of the second one now. In the zone for the first. Uh, the second one... Oh, let's keep going the first. If you have more to say, let's keep talking about the first. Well, I just want to say that all, I think everybody in the first one is unlikable. I think uh, Rachel is great in the first one, but she's barely in this. Like she's Yeah, right, Rachel's yeah. in the first one, but she's... Yeah, I agree. I had that opinion leaving the movie that everybody is super unlikable in I don't it. even think... Was she a named character in that movie, or did they officially say her name was Rachel in the second one? Like, she was so minor in the first one. I don't even know. Like, she kind of popped in for a bit as, like, a twist for, oh, someone does want to kiss Lee. Who knew? Oh, yeah. Actually, no, I got more... Yeah, I agree. I have more to say here about the first. At first, I thought this part was in the second, but it's in the first one. And that's at the very end. The whole reason they made this a uh, kissing booth thing, right? Was Was it for homecoming or prom? Um... Was, I don't know. I don't know what it was for. It was for some party. Uh, it was some event. Oh, no. It was Homecoming for sure. Yeah, they made the kissing booth for Homecoming. And the actual kissing booth scene happens sort of near the beginning, right? Because I was like near the... the, the, the uh, yeah. Yeah. Her and, a, uh, her and Noah's relationship started sort of at there, right? And Lee ended up kissing Rachel. Um, but at the time they kissed, she for sure wasn't a named character. It wasn't until prom... Yeah, she he asked her to prom, so they went to prom together. So they for sure she was in the first one. Oh yeah. But yeah. What I always thought weird, Quentin, and I'm wondering if you if you know why this was a thing. So as I mentioned, the three of them are all a year younger than Noah is, right? Noah is the older brother to Lee, and he's in grade twelve. Yeah. And the three of them are all in grade eleven, right? Yep. So he's graduating this year, and none of them are. And they uh, spoiler alert for the movie because this all takes place near the end. Prom happens, of course. Prom is where all the grade twelves go to have a final dance. You know what prom is. And Lee takes Rachel, and at this point, uh, L and Noah are broken up or whatever. They're fighting. And so Noah's just not going to go to prom. So Noah didn't go to prom. So now it was just three grade 11s going to prom. Like, how come they're going to prom? Grade 11s aren't allowed to go to prom unless you're with a grade 12. But now there's just three grade 11s going to prom, and no one asks any questions. In fact, at the prom that they didn't even graduate from, there was a tribute 
to then. Oh, yeah. Even though they weren't even supposed to be there. Yeah, no, no, I did notice that. The, there's a kissing booth tribute to them, and they're not even graduating. It made no sense why they were even there. And even if they were graduating, it wasn't just like a tribute. It was like the grand finale of their graduating moment. Like, even if they were graduating, the grand finale is just like two people that made a booth, like, at the beginning of the year. Like, this is their big moment to celebrate the school graduating. But it's not even their year. It's even more absurd. It makes no sense why they're even there. I'm like, why? Why have this? No, it is it is wild. It makes no sense. And sorry, where did you say this movie takes place? I didn't, I don't think. Oh, okay, okay, sorry. I, I must have heard you. Okay. I yeah. think it's San Francisco, though, isn't it? Well, it has to be Hollywood, because they hang up by the Hollywood sign. Oh, you're right. My bad. LA. I knew it was, like, in California there. Yeah. Um, yeah. Sorry. I thought you said Indiana, and I was like, what is he talking about? But I must have... No, I, I, I think I said in the end. Oh, uh, okay. Okay, that was it. <laughs> it's like... <laughs> It most definitely does not take place yeah. in Indiana. No, like, that, that, is, that's, yeah, that sure. looks nothing like Indiana. Yeah. yeah. See, I forgot. I knew they were hanging out by like a big monument. I thought it was, they were hanging out on the Golden Gate Bridge. Those Hollywood signs where they always go, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. That's where yeah. Noah goes to think for, think by himself. It's, it's a yeah, yeah, yeah. real emotional moment. Even though you, you can't go like to the Hollywood sign. It's private property. You're not allowed there. Yeah. Um, but L. I don't understand her story. At least in the third one, they start going more female power here. But in this movie, she uh, Noah keeps getting all the guys to like not go out on dates with her, which is very possessive. Noah sucks in this movie. But then Elle is like, oh, well, my retaliation is I'm going to take my shirt off in the boys' locker room and dance around in my bra because woman power, baby. And so she's dancing around, whooping and hollering, woo, I'm a woman. Look at all these guys drool over me. Noah, suck it. And then it cuts. The very next scene is the start of the kissing booth and her begging Noah to do the booth. Like, what a horrible transition of like, yeah, woman's the best. And then her literally begging for this guy to like do this booth. Uh, Yeah, this whole movie. I don't understand who edited this, who made it. I believe they're five. It's crazy. Yeah, every, every scene doesn't roll into the next scene. When they start a new scene, they forget what happened in the previous one. Yeah, it's like we said, it's very YouTube edit. Like, yeah. It's just quick. You don't even think about it. You know, I think we're I think we're not giving enough credit to a uh, YouTube creators, though. Their content's a little more fluid than this. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. I just mean, like, the, the pacing and, like, the quick, like, fast pace to get Yeah, you go from attention. one plot point to the next, yeah. right? But you their content is way more creative and way more exciting. I think L and Noah are like the two most unlikable people leaving this film. Like, are we rooting for them? Are we supposed to root for these two to be together? That, and that's what always gets me confused. I'm like, I feel like I'm probably supposed to, but I don't understand how anyone watches and goes, yeah, the audience is going to love these characters. Like, I don't, I don't understand that. They're the ones making this. And you're writing the script this way, and you're editing her this way, and you're getting her to act this way, and you're, you're thinking the audience is going to like her? It, none of it ever made any sense. The main character to me never struck me as likable, especially at the lead. Uh, L and Noah also. Uh, yeah, Lee Lee redeems himself in, at, at parts for sure. Yeah, Lee is a hit or go for me. Like he's kind of the foil at parts to L, so I like him at some moments, but he's very whiny. Uh, yeah, he's part. just a little bitch. Yeah, he's just he's just a bitch. Like I just don't yeah, like him. He's not a bad guy. He, the other two I think are pretty pretty despicable people. I don't think he's a bad guy. I think he's just a little bitch. No, hold on, hold on. Despicable people in the first movie, right? I don't like Elle in any of them. 
No, but I think Noah has the best arc. I think in the first movie, he is actually the worst. I think he's worse than Noah in this movie. He's very possessive. He's very like douche bro. He's terrible. But he's he suddenly has like, he's a completely new character in the second movie. And in the second and third, he is way better. Uh, yeah, I can't think of any reason why I didn't like him in the third. L, I never liked for sure. L yeah. was awful. Yeah, he becomes a little bit of a bitch in the second and the third one. Like he's very much like, L, I'll just do whatever you want. But he's still, at, at, at the end of the day, he's, like, a nice guy, at least. He's no longer, like, this possessive freak. Yeah. So at least that's, like, a good change. Uh, but one thing that we'll find, a, I guess this would be one theme we'll find in all three of these movies, Tristan, is they always end the same. Every single movie has the same setup and the same resolution. And that is going to be Elle breaks a rule from her and Lee's rule book. And she's worried as to how Lee feels. Lee finds out and feels absolutely terrible about it. Well, he's he feels absolutely betrayed by her breaking these rules. And at the end of the day, she reminds him, hey, bro, remember rule number whatever it is, rule number 20 or something? Be happy for your friend's success. This, this helped me succeed. And then he has to forgive her because that's a rule. So she breaks a rule. He then has to follow the rule and forgive her for breaking the rule. This happens every single movie. And yeah, I meant to mention this earlier when we were talking about the premise and how they have a rule that is no dating each other's siblings. But like, there's only they're all we and Noah are those are the only two siblings, and L I think has like a four year old brother, right? So it's basically the whole rule is just don't date. Noah, that's the entire rule. Like, what a weirdly particular rule for them to have come up with when they were six years old. Like, like when they were six years old, we had a premonition that she was, Elle was going to grow up and date Noah. Like, why would this be a written rule? Like, I get they're weird and quirky and had these rules, but why would this one specifically ever be a rule? Well, no wait a second. Well, yeah, it was definitely about the brother, but you also have to think about this more. It doesn't say siblings. It says relatives. So this also means parents, but as we already know, Elle's mom is dead. So Lee definitely made this rule to say, "Don't date my brother or dad." Don't you? Which really dare. tells you a lot about Elle's character that even Lee, as a six-year-old, <laughs> uh, about Elle's character. Yeah, six-year-old Lee is like watching her drool over Noah, and he's like, "God damn it! I need to make sure this is a rule." I gotta write this shit down. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> rule number nine, baby. That's I, it. Yeah. And my apologies, I looked up the list. It's rule number 18. That's the rule for always be happy for your bestie's success. Uh, Elle uses that rule to get away with murder. She, she uses it a lot. Well, at least she was successful with the murder, so you can't be mad at her about it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She, like, try it. She's like, oh, I'm sorry. Oh, here's an ice cream. None of that works. Then she goes, she walks up to him. She goes, ahem, rule number 18. And Lee's just like, God, fucking, yeah, you're right. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, I'm happy for you. We're all good now. He's like, "All right, that's it. You pull, you pull the ace card. I'm, 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 I'm good to go." Uh, rule number eighteen becomes quite an important rule in the trilogy here. It's really, it, it, I, well, I don't know why that rule is more important than all the other rules. There you go. That is pretty much the end of Kissing Booth One. Uh, just you know, L, just. Breaking rules left and right, Noah being pretty controlling, and Lee being a little whiny, and we still like Rachel. Uh, yeah, Rachel. Rachel's a homie. We find out that Noah didn't end up leaving yet, so he can still spend some time with them. Very exciting before he has to leave for Harvard. Uh, Noah 
got into Harvard. He's a pretty smart boy. He uh, punches kids and kills in his homework. He's he's good to go. Yeah, I love how all these characters who we never see study ever or do like volunteer work or extracurriculars. None of that. They all get into like Harvard and Berkeley and all these like really really high Ivy League schools. And we're like, what? We're just supposed to believe that they're they're anywhere near smart enough to get into those. What do you mean? Extracurricular activities. They have on their resume. All it is is a blank piece of paper that says, I made the kissing booth. And they're like, well, fuck, you're in. I heard about that. Come on. You let people kiss in the gymnasium for a charity event? Welcome to Harvard, baby. (laughs) That's it. That's how we do it. That's good enough for me. And then we also find out in, uh, it's not super important in the first movie, but ends up becoming a flashback in the second one. And that is when L tells Lee, would you leave Rachel because of these stupid rules? And Lee is just like, fuck yeah, I would. Rules I think that's all what we're seeing. I think we're really seeing that a, uh, Lee is willing to die by these rules. Literally. <laughs> yeah. What the rules said, like, kill yourself, he'd be dead already. Like, these rules are, they, they, they are a sworn oath that he will never break till he dies. Like, that's, yeah. that, that's the end all be all. Yeah, where Lee, I think L is at the point where she's like, yeah, these were rules we wrote when we were six. We're now adults. Let's act like it. Who cares about the rules? Just be adults. Yeah. Um, and the only person that cares about these rules is Lee. And I think that's the only reason why L still follows them. She's like, well, Lee really likes these rules. So I guess we're sticking to it. Which I guess here I'm agreeing with L, uh, which, which is rare. But it's yeah. kind of like, who gives a crap about these rules? Why, why are they still so important? At some point, you gotta got to move on. Yeah, these rules are wild. I wish we had all of them. We only have, I believe, 15 of the 21. So, you know, we're, we're, we're missing a handful. But uh, these rules are pointless and idiotic. Lee should probably stop writing, st- stop focusing on the rules and maybe focus on Rachel for once in his life. <laughs> There's an idea. Yeah, because he, he almost never hangs out with her anymore. Uh, she, she, once again, she's a very side character. Yeah, I was really thinking of the third one. She'd actually like become a real character, and they She's decided to fucking like reintroduce old characters that still meant nothing in this new one, rather than actually focus on her as a character. Yeah, she got less screen time in the third one than she did in the second. Like, yeah, the oh yeah, the second one was her her, her the second's her time to shine, which is another reason why it's my favorite. I think. Yeah, so we can move on to the second one here, and yeah, this is definitely the wildest. This one's very fun. I did this like one, uh, in the this montage. Yeah, in the montage for this one at the beginning of the movie, definitely not as funny. But I did like how she said that she has a podcast. Look at that, Tristan. We're like the L's of our universe. I I I dream of being the L of my universe. Yeah. And she said that her podcast is very successful in the montage, but then later when she does when she applies and she tells uh the board that she has a podcast, and like, oh, how many people do you have? She said 35. And I was like, oh, oh my gosh, 35 shoot. means success. We're like halfway there. Yeah, I was like, wow, we're almost successful then. I didn't, re- I didn't realize we were so close. <laughs> so, yeah, 35 equals success. That's good to know. Um, I, mean, yeah. I really feel like success is more of a mindset. Of course, L has that on lock. That's true. Yeah, she, she always thinks she's successful. That's true. So, uh, right off the bat, uh, this movie is, uh, once again, I think Noah gets like a big bump in this one. I think he's, I actually think he's really rootable. I like Noah in this movie. I think Elle is even worse in this movie. Yeah, Elle's pretty despicable in this one. Yeah, and right off the bat, first scene, 
She jumps into Lee's car. They then go to pick up Rachel. At first, she's like, oh, this isn't the way to school. And Lee's like, yeah, I'm picking up Rachel now. Like, she's my girl. And Elle is, like, upset. She's like, you're going to pick up your girlfriend? You want to hang out with your girlfriend? So he picks up Rachel. And Elle is still sitting in the front seat. She's like, uh, you can go sit in the back. You are in the rule book, Missy. That's <laughs> rule number 20. Uh, BFFs always sit in the front together. That's one of the rules? No, it's not. But uh, we don't know number 20. It could be. I hope it is. In my mind, that's that's number 20. Yeah, so we're, that's officially... And yeah, I think now. one of the main thing, reasons... We never really said why we hate Elle on this podcast yet. We're kind of just saying how we hate her. One of the biggest ones is this absolutely terrible double standards she has. Where, like, if she does anything that's, say, technically outside the rules, or she's spending a little more time with, with Noah or whatever, that's totally fine because it's Noah and that's allowed. But the moment Lee does anything that's not according to her plan, she absolutely tears him apart. Like, he can't do anything with Rachel without being a terrible friend. He can't cancel any sort of plans they had because something came up with Rachel or something came up in his general life like without being absolutely terrible. When she doesn't even call and just, like, leaves him and just doesn't show up, like, plays hooking on him all the time and just leaves to go with Noah and shows that all the freaking time. But it never matters. All that matters is when he does it. An absolutely awful double standards. And not even just with him, but with everyone in general. This yeah. is one really good example of the yeah. terrible double standards. No, I agree. And they never acknowledge this on the sh- on, in the movie. They, they never, like, mm. acknowledge why she has these double standards. No one ever calls her out for having these double standards. In fact, the characters, like the Lee and stuff, end up just apologizing for, for, for screwing the plans up. And she never apologizes back or anything. Like, everyone just accepts, of course, that's the way it is. He should follow the rules. And it's okay if she goes it because it's Noah. And that, that's forgivable. And it makes no sense. This is not a rootable characteristic. In fact, this is more of a characteristic where you hate the character. I'm like, yeah, I'd be freaking pissed too. She's annoying as hell. And they never acknowledge that. I don't know why. Yeah, I agree. That's definitely my least favorite part as well. That she kind of, like I've already said, gets away with murder and everyone else is like at fault. Like she's really the hero of her story and this story, which once again, we've said she's the narrator. So maybe she's painting herself she's doing a terrible job as like the hero and everyone should apologize to her. Cause that's what they do in this movie. Whereas we said, she literally breaks the rule to not date or get involved with each other's relatives. And she's literally banging Lee's brother. Lee finds out she doesn't even tell him he finds out on his own, which is super shady. And then she goes up the next day with an ice cream. And the rule is you always apologize. You always apologize and forgive each other. By giving each other an ice cream. That's like one of the rules or something. And she gives him the ice cream and he takes it and throws it in the trash. Which she should. And she like looks horrified. She's like, I did the rule. You're breaking. How dare you break the rule? I just did. what. We, like You're supposed to forgive me now because I gave you an ice cream. I'm sorry, Elle. You broke a rule for the last six months while you've been fucking Noah in the asshole. Like, I don't know what the fuck she's on about. Yeah, she ha- very much has this mentality that she is the hero and she's a victim for most of these movies. Yeah, she's always the victim and never at fault. Yeah. She's never done anything wrong and bad stuff always happens to her just because she has bad luck. And none of that is true. Everything that comes to her is because it's 100% her fault, even though she never admits it in any of the movies. And she's never has the same consideration for other people. Like, she's complete double standards and... and Everything she, she that bad happens to her gets brought on by herself, and then she complains about being the victim all the time. So we then get to 
my least favorite scene of not just this movie, but of all three. Uh, this is why I might still give the edge to number one. Uh, I absolutely hate the scene in The Kissing Booth 2 where Al is looking at a photo of, what's his name? Marco? Oh, Marco, yeah. The, like the other guy, the guy that- Yeah, the, the... and she's looking at the video and they're on the intercom and then Noah, or sorry, Lee has to do this action sequence of running to the office. I hate this scene. This is my least favorite scene of all three films. It pisses me off. Every character is like overacting. The girl that hands her the phone is the worst. She like has these horrible expressions and these idiotic lines. Everything about this scene is literally I don't remember this scene at all. Like what's happening in this scene again? Like so what's going on? what happens is this like goth girl gives Elle the phone and it's a video of Marco like working out and Elle by mistake turns the intercom on. And so everybody in the school can hear her making all these super weird like sexual lines. If a guy made these comments about a girl, it would have been uh pretty questionable because she's like commenting on just how f i don't know it was weird she's like man yeah now that you're saying this i remember this scene i you didn't mention the intercom part before so oh, i didn't sorry. really remember like, why this was even happening yeah but now i know what you're talking about yeah, yeah. oh my gosh slap that meat on her grill because that is smoking like oh man these really weird lines that are definitely 40 year old men sitting in a room thinking of what a girl would say about a guy it's weird it is horrible and then yeah Lee and no one has... says this shit out loud either <laughs> no you know what no, I mean? no one actually does and maybe 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 l would say one line like oh wow those buns are buns of steel like, or maybe one weird line maybe nobody would then say 20 of them in a row on the intercom like nobody acts like this ever no a weird character if you're sitting there constantly making physical comments on an individual on a screen for an, like ten minutes straight, because Lee has Lee has time to go from this, go from his classroom, knock over a bunch of people, run into the wall a few times, and turn on the inter, turn off the intercom before she's done commenting on how hot Marco is. He is really hot, though, Quentin. Oh, he is. He is. Uh, I was saying this to Andrea. Marco is definitely uh, not only one of the best characters of the film of the films, but he's definitely the hottest. He's he's fantastic. Oh yeah, he's was definitely uh, like next to Rachel. Uh, you know what? Probably third. Rachel and Chloe are probably above yep. him. Okay, thank you. That's my order, too. I think it goes Rachel, Chloe, and then Marco. That's the top three characters. Yeah, the Kiss Booth is a series of films that have really, really awful main characters, but a pretty great roster of supporting characters. Like, the, the real side of characters are the hidden gems in these films. Yeah. Uh, Rachel's definitely still the best of the trilogy. She's because easily my favorite, and especially Chloe. her and Kiss Booth, too, which is why I think it's my favorite one. Because she really, she really shines in that movie. Yeah. Because Chloe and Marco definitely still have flaws. Where Chloe is too, like, forgiving of Elle. Like, she backs her up way too much in yeah, the second Yeah, she's almost, also a point of being spineless. Yeah. Like, Noah is like, oh, she, like, made out. Well, uh, skip ahead. She made out with Marco, and, like, I feel betrayed by that. And Chloe's like, yeah, but it's Elle. You can forgive her because you love her, right? And I was like, Chloe, that is a terrible piece of advice. You're horrible at this. Like, that, that's awful advice. Yeah. That, that is not a good reason. Yeah, Chloe, like, sit down. Like, what are you doing? And then Marco is way too much of a simp. Like, he loves Elle yeah, too much. He, he's a bit of a thing. bitch. He forgets anybody he wants, like, in LA. Like, he's super hot, right? He can pretty much get, like, 
any girl besides like supermodels or people who are already married, right? But instead, he keeps simping for this one girl who's super annoying, as you've already said. Yeah. And you know what I mean? Like, that alone, she just be too annoying for me to ever even care to date. Yeah. And so, but he still cares enough to really go for it after keep getting rejected several times over because she has a boyfriend. And he doesn't take the fucking hint. Yeah, and Marco is not only very attractive, but he's very talented. He is very charming. He is literally the perfect guy, and he just yeah, really he's loves it. Super that. nice. Yeah. Great dancer. Uh, speaking of Anyone dancer, something that we didn't mention is in the first one, uh, her and Lee love to do the Dance Dance Revolution or whatever it's called, this arcade game. And in the second one, it has now become an intricate plot point where they dance on this dance machine, and then they end up needing the money for Elle to then go to university so she can afford to go to Harvard with her BFF, uh, Noah, well, I guess her boyfriend. And so she needs to get the money for it, and the exact amount of money is the prize for the just j uh, the Dance Dance Revolution tournament. The act uh, There's a actual contest for uh, this dancing. Um. Also, what we never really kind of talk about the main plot point here in the second one. The plot point in the second one is there's a course of she wants to go to Harvard to be with her boyfriend Noah because Noah now goes to Harvard and for the whole movie he's over in Harvard. Harvard. He meets his other girl named Chloe. He turns to be a very nice lady as you've already mentioned. Maybe a little too weak and back, not not a strong enough backbone, but she's super nice and very friendly. And of course, Elle here he's hanging out with a girl and she gets jealous and now she wants to go to Harvard to be with him and totally not to babysit him. But now one of the rules, I can't remember the number, one of the rules is you will go to Berkeley with your best friend. Another weird thing to make as a decision when you're like seven when they made these rules, but okay. So now she can't tell Lee that she's going to Harvard to be with Noah because Lee thinks she's going to Berkeley with him. And that's generally the main friction in the movie, the main tension in the movie between her and Lee is that she wants to go to Harvard to be with Noah and Lee wants thinks she's going to go with Berkeley with him. And they're competing together in this dance competition so she can get money to go to one of these Ivy League schools. Um, although he doesn't know he's helping her, her, helping her to pay for Harvard. He thinks she's going to pay for Berkeley with it. All while Noah may or may not be hitting on Chloe. But of course, they're not because Chloe's a sweetheart. Yeah. And I do love how the father can't afford for her to go to university. But they have a huge-ass house in like Hollywood. Well, priorities, Quentin. Especially if that was my daughter, I wouldn't have... Yeah, yeah, I you probably, you probably could afford it, but he was like, you, you, you're, you're, you're an idiot. You're not going to do well in university. It's a waste of my money. Do they have a huge house, though? Well, I know, like, the two boys' family do. Right. They normally hang out at their house. Their house is definitely I don't really remember her house too much. Uh, their house Even is still Any house big. in L.A. is super expensive. Even a small house in L.A. is a lot of fucking money. Yeah, we don't see too much of her house, uh, but we see... When she does the montage at the beginning, we see her in her bedroom doing the podcast, and that is a pretty big bedroom. Like, it's pretty huge. It's bigger than my bedroom. Like, it's a pretty big size. And then we see her in the living room talking about the expenses and going to university. And that's what made me think of it, was him saying that he can't afford it while they're in this giant living room. It seems very big. Yeah, yeah. I think I remember that scene being a little weird looking at it, too. But, yeah. That's a good point. It's possible they bought the house back when the mom was still alive and they had more income. And now he's just sort of like, you know, paying off mortgage, but not, doesn't really have too much money, like right. left over type thing. Yeah. 
And this is one of my favorite Rachel scenes that we have afterwards where they're just walk is just her and Lee and L walking down the street and you get to see these two weirdos from the point of view of an outsider. This whole film has been in the perspective of L and how cool she is, but you get this perspective of Rachel looking at them and they go on and on about, "Oh my gosh, but we should do this. Oh, but you do, you got to remember rule 13. Oh, you're right. But rule two. Oh my gosh. Yes, you're right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. We, we can do it. That is fresh. Yeah. Like that is, that scene makes me feel so bad for Rachel. Cause she just wants to hang out with her boyfriend. And these two are fucking horrible. Yeah. It really puts in perspective how normal Rachel is and how just absolutely off the wall. These two are their pitch is being like, you're normal high school kids. But they're so weird and so characterized um, that they—they if you ever met them in real life, they'd be so off-putting. By no means would you become friends with these people because they're so damn weird. Um, but when you're watching the show, you think, oh, I'm just like these characters. Or you're rooting for these characters and you feel like you can relate to these characters. But when you see like someone who's more akin to you, like Rachel, who's pretty normal in these films, uh, interact with these super weird people that are not normal at all it really makes it seem even more abnormal what they did and their communication style and the way they talk is even not normal the script is so weirdly written and these characters don't talk like normal people they're they, they emphasize way too much and, and, and over dramatize every sentence they have yeah it's weird and i think rachel really it's really more of a breath of fresh air in, a, in an otherwise real screwed up universe that they've developed here yeah, no, I uh, I really like Rachel, especially in this movie. She's very rootable. I even like I like her in all of them. She's just more present in this one. Yeah, my personal favorite Rachel moment, also in the second one, because she really shines in this one, is when they go to a Halloween party. So yeah. they go to a Halloween party, and of course, originally Rachel wants her and her boyfriend to do a couple costume, like most teenage girls want to do when they go to Halloween parties with their boyfriend, right? Mm-hmm. A perfectly normal expectation, but of course. L wants him to do like uh wants to do a, a couple's costume with Noah. So they decided let's all do a costume together. But then at the end and all this happens sort of off camera, or uh, we, we hear about it, we see them pick costumes, but then we sort of cut to the, the the party and we see L and Lee show up in Ghostbusters costume, I'm pretty sure. It was Ghostbusters costume, right? Yeah. And they're pretty cool. Ghostbusters always a good pick. It might have been nice to have a fourth new Ghostbusters. So that's fine. But then we see Rachel show up in a marshmallow costume. <laughs> and she goes, guys, I thought we were dressing up as s'mores. So she thought they were dressing up as s'mores. And they switch costumes without telling her. And then she shows up looking like a marshmallow. Yeah. Totally by herself, not in a group anymore. And yeah. I die laughing every it time. Is, it's yeah, yeah. This movie's pretty great. It was hilarious. Yeah, she thought one of them was going to be the chocolate bar. And one of them was going to be the graham cracker. And there you go. They're s'mores. They're ready to go. But they did a little whoopsie-daisy reverse Uno on her, and the two of them are the Ghostbusters. And Lee, you, you could tell, I kind of wish we saw this scene, right? You could definitely see how this happened, where Lee goes, oh, wait, shouldn't we tell Rachel? And Elle and her, like, psychotic behavior is like, Lee, she's already dressed up as the Marshmallow. She can be, like, the Marshmallow Man. We, like, we don't need to bother telling her. Like, she, she's good to go. We can still do Ghostbusters. <laughs> it's hilarious. And like, Lee, did they not buy their costumes yeah. together then? Like, they always agreed on this group project and then, like, they didn't go shopping together. The two of them yeah. went by themselves. Absolutely wild. And Rachel went yeah. to the store, like, with her mom to buy the costume. Yeah. And and this would be a time I would love to hate on Elle for just, like, sabotaging this Halloween costume. But this is definitely Lee 
being like the worst boyfriend ever for not even yeah, telling it, her. Why the hell wouldn't you tell her? <laughs> Absolutely wild. Uh, speaking of great boyfriends, uh, we're roughly at the scene. Uh, well, this happened before the Halloween, but uh, my my favorite scene after the montage in the first film, where we've already discussed before, Tristan. Noah, he is gone in Harvard. He's hanging out with Chloe and stuff. But he comes down to visit Elle every now and then. Or, sorry, Elle comes up to visit him, actually. So she comes off at the airport. And he's down at the uh, entrance of the airport with a big sign that says Elle, ready to go. And as she's coming up to him, he is so excited that he takes the sign. Which, first of all, like, you know, it's more of a movie trope. Because in real life, the sign is for people that don't know who you are. He, he knows who she is. But anyways, he takes the sign throws it behind him and hit, and if you watch the movie it hits an extra in the back of his neck like it just hits the dude no way wait have I, I not have i not talked about this tristan i don't think so oh my gosh i am obsessed with this clip as well so he takes the sign chucks it behind him and it hits this extra that's just walking behind him just to make it look like it's busy in the airport hits him square in the neck and the extra just does nothing he pretends that nothing happened he is just supposed to do the scene that where he walks. A professional. Yeah, where he walks from one end to the other. He just kept walking as if nothing happened. And not only that, Tristan, but just on this rewatch, I have found out that this extra is in the background of that scene earlier in the scene. They only had this, like, they probably only had two extras, and they had this dude with the bright orange backpack walk behind Noah a few times in the airport. It could also have just been different, different takes. That's what, okay, but that's what one person said as well. But if you look, both times Noah has different facial expressions. So you're right, uh, I see what you're saying. I do believe it is probably just two different takes of a scene, and then they just put them both in the movie without realizing it. But yeah, uh, yeah, because one of them, Noah, is like super straight face waiting for her to show up, and then the second one is him like grinning and super stoked that she's on the escalator. So it's like he's doing a different part in the scene, but you're right. They probably just went, eh, you go behind it. Yeah. We, we might not keep that first scene. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah. A uh, really hilarious stuff. Ah, uh, the dude with the orange backpack is an unsung hero. I, I love him. I also like how the best thing they had of him throwing the sign behind him was the one when he, he, he smokes the extra yeah. in the back. Okay. That's what I was saying. That's like, the best thing they had of it. Like the point of doing multiple shots is to pick the one where you don't hit the dude square on the neck. Right. <laughs> Well, maybe they just didn't notice he hit him. I'm like, but then did the guy not speak up afterwards? Go, hey, I hit him. <laughs> hey, did he not mention it to anybody? Tristan, that extra was in the mo- in the zone. He was heading straight for his air uh, for for his airplane. He was running behind. Yeah, he was he was running late for his flight. He didn't have time to comment on getting hit with a sign. Oh, yeah, no, truly hilarious. It cracks me up every time. I I love it. A real unsung moment here. But one thing I hate about this second movie is the way they edit Noah and Chloe because they take so many things out of context to then make us believe that maybe they're cheating. Like the editing is part of this narrative of he's cheating. Like they're trying to manipulate us. Yeah, they want they want us to think that he's cheating with Chloe. So then when it gets revealed at the end, we go, oh, he's not a bad guy after all. Yeah. You know, they, they want us to have that moment at the end of the movie. Because he was a good guy, and he does love Elle, um, which was never really the question to begin with. I don't think, at least when I was watching it, 
I was significantly more worried about Ellie cheating on Noah than I was the other way around. Yeah. Which, of course, she ends up doing because it's Elle. And, of course, in the end, they still go back together because it's, it's <laughs> there's never any consequence for your actions in this universe. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And a good movie, or good, a better movie would have had the editing just be, we get the point of view of Elle. We get to see her on the camera when she enters the bedroom and Noah has his shirt off because he's on call with her. Okay, that's a little awkward. And we get to see that she finds an earring in his bedroom. Oh, that's that's pretty suspicious. That's good enough. We don't need to then have scenes where she's not in the room. It's only Noah and Chloe. And it feels very cut and fabricated in the editing to make it's just for us, just for us to think that they're cheating. This isn't Elle's information. It's just for us of like her being like, oh hey, you're we're so close and I really like you. Um, we should like want to go to your place after we have some drinks. And he's like, yeah, sure, let's have some drinks at my place. And then cut before he says like with some friends or something, right? Like it feels very like so fabricated in their interactions together. Um, and L is it in these scenes. Like there's no service but to trick us. Like these scenes are pointless. Yeah, it's unnecessary. As it, as we already said, most of the things in these don't feel super necessary. Uh, like it feels like they want to hit run times or just have it not feel like it was like abnormally short movie with at only like an hour and 15 minutes or something. Yeah. So you throw in a bunch of random stuff that never feels super necessary. Just like just throwing more shit at the wall to keep people entertained as this nonsensical plot line, which doesn't really have much of a plot line as I'm sure you picked up by us talking through the second film. There really isn't too much of a one cohesive plot line. Nothing no, it's all over the place. Goes, yeah, this this second one is all over the place. I have no idea what's going on. My notes. Yeah, is the all second over. one, the third one is also the first one is a very simple plot line, and it follows it through, and it's pretty cliche and standard uh, rom com. But the second one just goes off the rails with no no big plot line. Just sort of like these people keep living, and we keep watching them live, and all this random shit's happening because Elle is a terrible person and doesn't know what to fucking do. And all these other characters around her just trying to figure out why she's acting so fucking weirdly all the time. No, exactly. Uh, yeah, it's just, it's just, I guess, them just trying to pad the runtime. Even though the second one is the longest. And that's a bit of an issue, too. I think if they cut some of the uh, Chloe and Noah, oh my god. If they cut that, uh, they could they could have cut 15 minutes out of this crap. And it would have been a lot better. Because it's like 2 hours and 20 minutes. Like it, It's a long movie. Yeah, it's way too long. It, rom-com should clock in at a crisp 90 minutes, and that's pretty much it. Yeah, but my favorite is when she's talking to Noah, and she asks him if there's uh, something going on with another girl. And he is like, no, Chloe is just a friend. And Al throws back in his face, how do you know it's talking about Chloe? Like, ooh, you got, you sure got him. Not the fact, maybe he thought you are talking about Chloe, because that's the only girl you know he hangs out with. Like, I love how that was like, I got you, Noah. How did you know I was mentioning Chloe? Yeah, it's really not so much of a gotcha moment. <laughs> yeah, Elle really thought she got him. She's like, there you go. Slam dunk. He's cheating. I can bone Marco now with no remorse. Yeah. Which 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 is not a not a good reason. Not a good excuse. Yeah. So she does the dancing competition to get the money to see Noah. Very convoluted. So she wants to move to Harvard to see Noah. To go to Harvard, she needs money because her dad doesn't have the money. To get the money, she needs to do the just, just dance revolution thing or whatever. 
And to do the Just Dance Revolution thing, she needs to do it with a partner. Noah, or sorry, uh, Lee, who hurt himself because he was, what, running to turn the intercom off? Is that what happened? Or maybe hurt himself some other scene, I forget. He can't do it anymore. So now Marco no, I think, needs to I do it. I think he fake, doesn't he fake, he fakes hurt himself. He never actually hurts himself. He fake hurts himself. So instead of having to spend that one hour a day practicing for the dance competition, she can find a new partner and he can spend that hour a day when she's practicing without her and with Rachel instead. But she won't get mad at him for spending time with Rachel because she's already busy. And so that's why he fake breaks his leg. No, I don't even realize that, but good move on Lee. <laughs> Only way you can hang out with Rachel but is if you pretend he's injured. Is that he has to fake an injury, lie to her face and everyone else around him just to spend time with his girlfriend. Because yeah. she's so possessive that she can't even let him leave for an hour to hang out with his girlfriend without her. And we're supposed to, and that's never acknowledged as, as being weird. No one ever, they never go over, oh, that's abnormal. She behaves that way. It's just like accepted as, yeah, of course, that's the way you should behave. She has every right to behave that way, which makes no sense. Yeah, so she needs a new partner for the dance, and that's where she gets Marcos. That's how Marcos involved in this. Uh, so quite a convoluted, that just shows you how crazy the story is. All those points needed to happen. This to plot is this. insane. Like I, okay, so before this podcast, I watched like a recap video so I can remember as much as possible, right? And that's the only reason why I remembered he fake breaked his leg. And it was like a three-minute video, right? The first 30 seconds were about the first one. The next two and a half minutes were about the, the second one because there's so much more stuff going on. It's so convoluted with all these random plot points and stuff that lead up into the third one. It's ridiculous. Yeah, I don't know. If you guys are able to tell, I have one page of notes for the third movie because I was more so just trying to enjoy it as much as I could. Uh, I have a page and a half for the first movie and I have three pages for the second. Yeah, there's so much random crap going on in the second movie. It's it, There's a lot. There's a lot to this one. Yeah, it, it's a wild ride. Um, and then one other thing that I think is quite interesting uh, during the big contest, nice guy Noah. Flies all the way down, surprises her by watching the event. He is one of the audience members watching the, the dance competition. And during the entire dance, Elle clearly wants to bang Marco, which I don't blame her because he's quite an attractive guy. Uh, but there's clearly chemistry. Like, she clearly wants to, like, do him. And the entire time, uh, Noah is just proud of her for doing this competition. Like, he keeps cutting to him, and he's just smiling. He's just so proud to see his girlfriend do this competition with a guy and succeed. Like, he's just proud of her. Like, th and this is what I mean. I, during that scene and during a, a lot of this last half of the movie, Noah, the first movie, super possessive, terrible human being. All of a sudden, like, who is this guy? All of a sudden, like, he just meets Chloe for one day and he's suddenly a good human being. Like, maybe he should have dated her because she's a much better influence on him because he's so nice. Yeah, his character really shifts between the first and second movie. And they never acknowledge it or, or give any yeah. reason why the change of character happens because that'll take actual writing and time and effort. So instead, they just change his character completely and never acknowledge it. Where now he's a pretty well-mannered, well-tempered, very smart individual um, who's going to Harvard and has a long-distance relationship with a, uh, with Elle and is, stays loyal the entire time. Meanwhile, Elle continues to be an absolute bitch. One thing I thought was really funny was Lee, which... In my notes here, I keep getting Lee and Noah mixed up too. I, I guess I'm getting all these people mixed up, but it was Lee 
that tells Rachel on the intercom, the infamous intercom where uh, Elle was objective eyeing Marco. Uh, Lee says on the intercom, Rachel, text me the smiley face emoji or the poop emoji to let me know if you want to continue to date me because they had a bit of a falling out. If she sends him the poop emoji, their relationship is over. If she sends him the happy face emoji, then they will date again. And it's this big Which dramatic moment. Is how all teenagers communicate now, Clinton. <laughs> Just text me an emoji if you want to go to the movies. Yeah. Text this me is, an emoji if you want to yeah. marry me. You know what I mean? Yeah. Rather than just asking them. Yeah, this is definitely like, once again, 40-year-old white men just trying to think of what kids do. Yeah. Absolutely wild. I absolutely died when he's like, everyone's literally like this intense music, super quick cuts to everybody in the room. Like, oh my gosh, is she going to send the poop? And then she sends the smiley face. It's this heroic moment. They're dating again. Wild stuff. Crazy. Yeah. And so this is where we get to the infamous dinner scene. Uh, where everything's all set up. L is kind of stuck in the middle of everything. Lee is angry at her. Noah's angry at her. Uh, Chloe's just there. Rachel is angry at her. Everyone is angry at L because she's the worst. Uh, and you think this is really where she has her big apology? Nope. After the argument, everybody kind of comes back to her and apologizes for yelling. Yeah, that's the thing. She's pissed every single person off at this table, and she still feels like she's the victim here. It's still, why is everyone mad at me? Not wow. Why am I always a bitch to people? It's like, if everybody hates you, you're the problem. And that, that's just true in general for everything, all right? If absolutely everyone at the table doesn't like you, chances are you're the one at fault here, not everybody else. Right. And Rachel was angry at her because Lee was supposed to tell her to back off from hanging out with them all the time and give them some space. She never did which then she realized Lee never told her that. But Rachel then immediately goes, oh my gosh, Elle, I'm so sorry. It was Lee, it wasn't you. You're, you're totally innocent. Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry for yelling at you. You're not at fault. Well, can we not take a step back and think she's still super possessive over Lee. Like she's still completely at fault. She just didn't know that Lee was supposed to give her a heads up about it. And the fact that Lee is afraid to give her a heads up because she's so possessive and controlling, does that not say something else about Elle? Like yeah, absolutely crazy stuff. But uh, yeah, uh, it's pretty much all good. It's pretty much, uh, this is the end. It's uh, After the fight, everybody individually goes up to L and apologizes because they're the one that was in the wrong and L is totally innocent. And then they have a graduation. Lee is the homecoming king. I don't know how that makes any sense, but he is. And you think that they would make L or Rachel the homecoming queen. Nope, it's just some random girl that stands with them. Uh, I don't know why they need to do that, but okay. And then it's over. Yeah, that's the, that's the, uh, that's the second one. Yeah. None of it really makes any sense, but surprisingly it's still the best of the three. Yeah, and then we get the final shot of the movie where she's with Noah and it cuts to Marco and his buddy is like, hey, Marco, uh, it's probably good that they're together. Just, just, just get over it. And Marco looks at her and goes, I won't. Cut to the third movie, baby. The Revenge of Marco. Yeah, he is here to take some names and get some pussy because Marco is going to get L. Let's go, baby. Uh, Kissing Booth 3, I'll say it right now, is by far the worst. This movie's pretty terrible. 
Yeah, yeah, that, that's that's probably the truth there. Yeah, um, and maybe this is like Kissing Booth 2, where maybe on a rewatch I'll appreciate the quirkiness of it more, because I did appreciate the second one a lot more on a rewatch. But the issue with this movie, Tristan, is we have been, we have been told that there is this list that they've been following for the last two movies, including this one, but... There's now a new list. There is a second list that we're going to be introduced here. And it is a list of things they have to do before they go to university. And it just so happens this is the summer before university. So now this entire movie, Tristan, is a bunch of random mini games that they have to do just to drag out the camera time. Uh, It has nothing to do with the movie. Yeah, and also how come they wrote one list of rules, right? And this became so important to them, it became like a blood oath, right? Like, like the Bible to them, yeah. right? They cared more about the stupid list of rules than anything else they've cared about. Yeah, you can almost but say then they that. wrote another list, another list that seems of equal importance on the same similar style piece of paper and similar style writing. They wrote a list of things they had to do before they went to university. Um, and that list got completely forgotten about and collected dust for decades. And just they never did anything with it for over 10 years it just kind of sat in a box inside of a closet like why was one list given so much more priority and importance to them as individuals and the other list and they never once again obviously they never explain this they just kind of accept you to to just go oh okay there's another list now whatever no for sure i completely agree the uh the second list as soon as i was introduced to this i was like oh no okay this movie's off the deep end they're just out of there's out of material they're just gonna make up shit now like, at least the first two, they followed this extremely painful list that they basically treated as their Ten Commandments. It's the 21 commandments of these two guys. Um, but this second list, uh, yeah, it doesn't really make any sense. It's, a bu- it's just a bunch of wacky things. Uh, my favorite part of the entire movie, actually, is the Mario Kart tournament. And that's one of them. They got to play Mario Kart in real life. And then they also have to do, like, a flash mob dance. They got all these wacky things. Uh, that really doesn't do much. Uh, yeah, I still really enjoyed the flash mob scene, though. Uh, I didn't really like that, but I did like the Mario Kart stuff. Uh, but what I didn't like how freaking lame it was. There's like three of them in a flash. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll get to that. So Elle has to make the choice to either go to the college with her boyfriend or go to the college with her best friend. This was a, That's right. It's the yeah. same plot as yeah. last time. Same plot yeah, as the, the second movie. Normal. Yeah. Uh, but fortunately for us, this, uh, this movie... It feels like they pretty much addressed it right away. She's going to go with her boyfriend. So it wasn't really too much of a big plot. You know, they bring it up throughout the whole movie. But it seems well, like... the whole movie's yeah. like, how is she going to tell Lee yeah. that she's not going to go to school with him? She's going to Harvard. Yeah. We, the audience knows. But the entire point of contention was, when is she going to tell Lee? If not, how else is Lee going to find out? Because obviously he's going to know come September when she's not at Berkeley, right? So the, the whole movie, the contention of the movie wasn't where she's going to go this time. It was more like, how is she going to tell lee that she's not going with him yeah exactly uh I, I, well i think he finds it pretty quickly but uh so the first movie was obviously rule number 18 or whatever don't oh no uh rule number nine don't bang your relatives and she bangs noah and that whole movie is her then making it up to lee second movie must go to university with your best friend she's gonna she's thinking of applying to harvard at the beginning of this movie she kind of breaks it to him but now, we have this new list, Tristan, and on that list, one of the things is, go to university with your best friend. The same thing on both lists. They're starting to, like, double dip here. 
go to university with your best friend is on this new list. And so now she has to break the rule a second time if she breaks it to him that she's actually going to go through with this. And now this is a real big dilemma. She had no issue with it the first time. And now this is a double time rule. This is a big, this is a big rule break. If she this does a double this. rule break right now here. And that kid's, it's called Raising the Stakes. Yeah. yeah, they were like, oh, the second movie, she had to break the rule once. But in this movie, it's the same rule. But what if it's now on two lists? That is a double whammy, baby. And the stakes are raised. And they, uh, you guys are never going to figure out how she out of this one. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Who would have thunk that? Yeah, she, uh, once again, uh, like I said in the first movie, the old trusty, as soon as he gets upset about it, she just pulls out rule number 18 and Lee's like, oh, you're right. Always be happy for your friend's success. All right. Have fun in Harvard. Yeah. Well, because of course this was a success. She got into Harvard. Yeah, that, that is a pretty big success. Uh, L, who is absolutely the worst at making decisions and really any logical thinking at all, got into Harvard. I don't know. Yeah. Honestly, this should be a, uh, an encouragement to people. If L could get into Harvard, you can do anything. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, if she can get into Harvard, then yeah, uh, she can do anything except yeah. except except follow these rules that she's sworn to follow. Yeah, uh, yeah. The world's your oyster if she's able to get into Harvard somehow. But this is where we get Marco. He is also in the summer clubhouse. Everything takes place in this summer cottage. No longer. Yeah, school. we never really set the premise for this movie. This whole movie is it takes place during the summer after they graduate, which is the end of the second movie, but before they go to school, which is the end of this movie or university, and they want to go spend the time at the brothers, Lee and Noah's parents' uh, summer house. But it ends up the parents are just about to sell the summer house because they haven't used it in years, and for some reason this year they wanted to go use it. Um, so they convince them, hey, let us stay here for the summer, and we you know, clean the house and stuff up before showings just to make sure that the place is always clean and tip-top shape for showing the house. If you ever sold a house, you kind of know, you know the deal. Uh, for some reason, they decided to let their two sons with their girlfriends stay in this house, they do not care at all about teen pregnancies then, I guess. They figure they, they graduated high school as late enough to start having children. Yeah. Um, and so then the four of them just stay inside this big, massive beach house, rent-free, and they have basically have sex with Yeah. I assume. And while they're at the beach house, she is working at a restaurant nearby, and she runs into Marco. And, you know, Marco's trying to woo her over, says, hey, we should maybe hang out, do this and that. And she's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm done to hang out. I'm done to... You know, do some stuff with you, Marco. That sounds like fun. Cuts to Noah, who is still at the beach house, and he's on a call with Chloe. And Chloe says that her parents are going through a divorce or whatever, and she needs to just be with someone. And Noah's like, hey, you should come hang out with us in the beach house. We got tons of space. Uh, it should be fine. Let me double check with Elle, though. That night, Noah goes up to Elle and says, hey, Elle. Uh, is it cool if Chloe just comes and hangs out in the beach house? Like, uh, we got tons of space and shouldn't be too big of an issue, but I just wanted to, like, check with you first. And Ella's like, oh, yeah, yeah, no, that that, that should be fine. Um, by the way, I've been, like, just hanging out casually with Marco. Like, I've just been, like, doing some stuff with him on the side, you know, just hanging out. And Noah's like, wait, you're hanging out with Marco? Noah kind of realizes, yeah, uh, Elle's kind of hanging out with Marco. Didn't tell her, didn't tell him until she kind of felt like they're, you know, sharing information at this moment. And she is like, Noah, double standard. Are you kidding? I just, I was cool with Chloe, but you're not cool with me hanging out with Marco. And that is the scene where I went, oh yeah, that's right. I absolutely hate Elle in these movies. She's absolutely despicable. Literally, it's very 
different because nothing happened with Chloe. Yeah. Yeah, I was like, she even understands. Chloe not only did nothing, but Chloe saved their relationship. She has done everything she can to keep them together. On the flip side, she has made out with Marco, and she is trying to, like, not address that information until Noah brings up Chloe might come by and visit. Like, two different spectrums here. Not even close. Yeah, once again, this is just massive double standards from, from, from L. And they, uh, everyone just kind of goes with it. Nobody, no one really calls her out on her bullshit in these movies. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I don't have too much more notes on the third movie here. I do want to talk about the Mario Kart. I thought it was hilarious. They were all dressed up as Mario Kart characters. Marco dressed up as Wario and Noah's all upset because that was supposed to be his costume. He just didn't want to do it. Uh, Marco's dressed up as Wario. And Marco's, like, a pro at Mario Kart, and he, like, destroys everybody as Wario. I just thought it was hilarious that they were giving an award to Marco, who's a super sexy guy in this big, fat Wario outfit. Like, such a funny visual. Mar- Mar- Marco's a good dude. He's a, he's a jam. Oh. He was too good for Al. Marco's so awesome. So was Noah, let's be real. Yeah, I know. Marco's awesome. And he is, like, so bitchy. I love him. He, like, go- constantly goes up to Noah, and he's just, like... Hey, uh, how's Elle doing? Uh, has her, uh, she been a better kisser since she kissed me? Like, just egging him on. Like, what a, what a douche. I love him. I'm Team Noah. Oh, sorry, yeah. sorry. I, I'm Team Marco. So it's kind of the opposite of Twilight, where instead of you're hoping, if you're Team Jacob or Edward, you're hoping they get together with a, uh, whatever the main character Twilight's name was. I think it was Christian, but I'm probably wrong. Um... Instead, you want them not to get into a relationship with Elle. Like, please, Marco, you can do so much better. Don't yeah. get in a relationship with Elle. Uh, they, uh, luckily, it works out for our boy Marco. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I believe it was Belle, Bella Swan in the Twilight. You're right. Movies. Christian's the actress. But Christian's the actress. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I really was rooting for him to not end up with her. Yeah, I was actually secretly rooting for Marco and Chloe to end up together. I think that's what everyone was hoping. Yeah. Because they're like two of the most likable people there. Yeah, I really like the two of them. And they're both super sexy and super like fun and social. Uh, they would have been a really cute couple, I think. Yeah, they do live on the opposite sides of the country. But besides that. Yeah, that's a bit of an issue. But you know, uh, nothing Marco can't overcome. Oh, Marco's willing to do whatever it takes. Well, he's wants to move to New York anyway. Which isn't far away from Boston. Yeah. And so this third movie is why I'm convinced Tristan, they want Elle to be the bad guy. Because the way she treats her dad's new girlfriend in this movie. Oh my gosh, that's the whole, that was the reason I hated her. I forgot about the stepmom. Yeah, that's the reason why I hated her in this movie, 100%. Yeah. Yes, you're right. Absolutely terrible. Uh, So her dad has been single for a while since if you remember back in the first montage of the very first movie, her mom passed away. Uh, which was quite a while ago. And it all comes full circle. Yeah, full circle, baby. The montage led up everything, but he is now seeing this new girl who is perfectly fine. She is super friendly, super sweet. I really liked her. Yeah. And just because. She's a perfectly nice lady. Just because she is a woman that is dating her dad, Elle treats her like absolute shit. For no reason. This woman did nothing. It's not that this woman didn't do anything. She was perfectly nice the entire time. And Elle has a younger brother who's like, what, what, she's, what, he's like eight in this movie now, I think? Probably. Which yeah. I think if someone's going to have an issue with this, it'd probably be, you know, the younger child who, you know. Yeah. 
isn't as emotionally mature, or at least you wouldn't think would be as emotionally mature as the 20-year-old who's about to go to university. But no, he is totally fine with, with his dad dating this woman. And in fact, he seems to get along with her very well. They seem to have a very good relationship. But Elle cannot handle it. She, she is absolutely off the deep end about her dad dating someone, even though it's been like, what, eight years or something like that since, yeah. her, since her mom died? It's, it's, not been a, like... it's not like six weeks, all right? The mom did not just die. This has been years. Yeah. Maybe, you would, maybe you'd understand her if the mom was in the first two movies and then she died in the third movie's montage. Like, maybe then you're like, oh, well, yeah, that's really weird. Yeah, that but... feels pretty, pretty early on to move on. But the audience has never met the mom besides the montage. We do not know her name. We do not, we've never heard her voice. Like she is nothing to us. And so her actions mean nothing to us. It is insane. It seems absurd that she's acting like this. And like, she's like, not just snooty or like ignores her or anything. Like she straight up is like, uh, no one even likes you. Why are you even here? in this room like you no one likes you in this room like you might as well just get out of here like she like openly just shits on her yeah there's a scene when she she kept like not going to dinner with the family kept like dodging dodge them you know ignoring them ignoring them and she finally goes to dinner with the family and she just calls her stepmom or the, the girlfriend of her dad out in front of everybody like for no reason just starts calling her, like why are you here it just in front of absolutely everybody. And everyone else at the table likes her. Everyone else at the table gets along with her. Everyone else at the table has a great relationship. And she just calls her out. And everyone's like, what the hell are you doing, Al? Yeah. You come off like a real bitch. Yeah, absolutely wild. I couldn't believe... like, And this is a new storyline for just this movie. Like, The mother isn't in the first two. So they openly went into this third movie saying, oh, this should definitely be a storyline. Like, You could tell they were kind of running out of ideas when this entire movie was montage of like stupid games that they're doing for this new list they made up and Elle making fun of an older woman and just absolutely shitting on her. Like that's this movie. There's no storyline. How, how do they write this and think this is going to make our main character come off likable? Yeah. You know, I mean, they would have had to think after the first movies that are to come out, a lot of people must have already been saying how they feel Elle is not a very likable main character, but she's not. Yeah. I can't see how they go. Oh, Okay. Let's make her more likable by making her be an absolute bitch to this woman for no reason. Yeah. No, I agree. Absolutely crazy. And you know she's terrible when I start to feel bad for her dad. Because I've never liked her dad either. Not so much the character, but no offense. I think the actor's a terrible actor. I think he's the worst actor in this whole trilogy. I think he's like super I, weird. I never really remember the dad even existing. He's not really much of a character in the first No, he's very vanilla. Either. Yeah. Like I just think his performance is very forgettable and like boring but i kind of felt bad for him in this movie like when he had that moment on the beach with her saying i sacrificed so much for you and your brother and just once i want to have happiness for myself and you can't even let me have it like man i was kind of like fuck like yeah i feel bad for this dude yeah i mean the, the love of his life dies from cancer He's then stuck raising two fucking kids on his own. One, one of, of which is an absolute yeah. bitch. <laughs> one of them is L. Yeah. So that sucks even more. And he finally finds a woman who he likes and likes him, and things are going good with them. And of course, his daughter's a bitch, and that sucks. Yeah. Honestly, that yeah, yeah. She she she's the worst. But 
Really, uh, is there really anything else to add to this movie? Uh, she ends up not going for Marco again for the second time. She realized that she's going to make the same decision that she did in the second movie. Uh, but then there's a, there's a few twists here. Rachel leaves Lee. That's the first one. Um, yeah, before we move on too far here, though, because I feel like we're getting to the yeah. third movie. Okay, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. I was about to wrap it up. But yeah, would, anything else you want to add? Um, one thing was so one of the major plot points as we went over in the second move was there's the big dance competition for for Dance Dance Revolution, right? A hundred thousand dollar grand prize happening in LA, which is where the movie takes place. I we assume anyways, we don't seem to travel anywhere, so I'm assuming it happens and takes takes place in LA. This this massive dance competition, a hundred thousand dollar grand prize. And when they're there, this place is packed out, sold out arena, it's pumping, right? And then this movie, which takes place immediately after the second one, this takes place the summer between grade 12 and first year university, and the, the second one is when they graduated grade 12, so right at the end of grade 12. In this one, the Dance Dance Revolution machine in the arcade they go to has been pegged for removal because it's not a popular enough game. How in two months did it go popular enough to have a local competitive scene that can sell out stadiums and have a $100,000 grand prize? They being so not popular, they have to remove it from local arcades because it's not not enough people are, are playing it. it's not making enough money like how does that happen at all and that was a major plot point in this movie was their favorite game is getting removed but it makes no sense how could it be so popular and then in weeks become so unpopular that they have to remove it my theory is l and lee i think the two of them always hang out by that machine and if anybody else uses that machine they just glare at him. They make offhanded remarks like, that was a pretty weak performance there, don't you think, Lee? Like, nobody wants to dance on that machine because they're just going to be picked on by these two kids. But those two kids are putting a lot of money in that yeah, machine. Yeah, that's true. They, they, they should at least be like, yeah, making enough for the machine. You're right. That's what makes no sense. Yeah. How, how is this machine getting removed? But also, um, I'm, glad, I'm glad you brought this up because I was thinking about this after the third movie. These movies are called Kissing Booth, Kissing Booth 2, and Kissing Booth 3. The first movie, they make the kissing booth. It's an actual storyline for the movie. The second movie... The high school does the same fundraiser event at the beginning. Yeah, yeah. They do the same event, so they, like... It's there It's less the important, but it's still in there. They still go to yeah, the Yeah, it's there in booth. the background. This third movie, we don't see the kissing booth until the last scene. They look at it and go, oh my gosh, remember when we did that when we were kids? Oh, that's so... That's I, so I completely forgot. Like, I knew it was called Kissing Booth, but I kind of forgot, like, Kissing Booth was, like, a thing they did yeah. in the movies until the apostle goes, oh, fuck, right. That's not in this movie at all. There was no Kissing Booth in Kissing Booth 3. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it honestly, like, it's in the second movie. It has no impact it, on the no, story at it's all. It's not important. It's only the high, a, it's Halloween only, yeah, party it's, was more important. Yeah, it's only a thing in the first movie. So my thing, Tristan, is this franchise should have been called Dance Dance Revolution 1, 2, and 3. It is more important. It's in all three movies. It, it is an, inter role in it is an intricate storyline in all three. Yeah. That's true. It is, that is the, it, honestly, that's the thing that is symbolized in every single movie. And the first one is just about how weird these two are together with this machine. And it's just about these two weirdos. The second movie is about Elle choosing between these two guys. And from this competition, she cheats on him. And in the third movie, these two are breaking up. The two best friends, they're no longer close, but this machine brings them back together because Lee buys the machine in the movie, spoiler, and then... Uh, gives it to Elle as a gift before he leaves. So this machine is more symbolic of the story and of their relationship than the fucking kissing booth. 
Oh, by far. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. The Kitsa booth is pretty irrelevant. Yeah. So I just think that's really interesting how the franchise is called Kissing Booth because the Kissing Booth is more pro, like, you know, more relevant and more impactful in the first movie. But as an entire trilogy, it is absolutely more so the Dance Dance Revolution machine. So I think it's very well, funny. Which I think really just goes to show that I don't think they had anything in this trilogy at first. Oh, and no, I think no, it's no. very clear. You know exactly how they made this, right? What do you mean? The, I know there's a book. It's originally based off a book, Yeah, right? the first movie is based off of the book, so it's only supposed to be one book. The movie was successful, so they told the writer to write them a second book. So the writer quickly wrote a book in a few months' time, and then they quickly took that book and made a movie off of it. That was successful, so then they said, we want a third book. And they paid this author to quickly write a book in 14 days. They wrote the... the you can tell that this third book has, like, this third movie is freaking nothing it has no concept of story structure whatsoever it's about nothing it's because the person wrote about wrote it for in like a two-week period gave it to them why would and they, they get her to write the script why would they be gonna write an actual book <laughs> i don't know maybe like it, i don't know uh it was script or book they made her quickly write down something i believe it was a book though they had her keep making the books but uh yeah and then she wrote in like two weeks time and then they made it in like a couple weeks time like they they turned out the third one immediately. You could tell because it took them two years. Took them two years to make the first and second one. Believe it or not, it took them like eight months to make the third one. Like they they turned this bad boy out quick. Oh yeah, I can't wait for the fourth. They say this is the end, but I uh, I think this is the end. I I think yeah, it, the way it ends is very much the end. Yeah, and so we can get to the ending here because uh, a lot of things start happening here. Nothing happens for the first hour and a half, but we start wrapping it up here. First of all, Rachel leaves Lee which I think is great. I think this, it was hinting at the entire movie. You knew she was going to leave him for good reason. Uh, they kind of undo it at the end. But for now, this is a good Rachel moment, her only good moment. And Wait, then, Rachel's only good moment? All of Rachel's moments. <laughs> that's true, but her only moment in this movie. That's the only moment she has, but it's a good one. <laughs> that's true, that it is. Uh, but then we get, honestly, I think this was a good choice for her character. L ends up choosing neither. She doesn't go with Noah to Harvard. She doesn't go with Lee to, uh, what's that place called? Berkeley. Berkeley. Uh, she ends up taking a third route, which is a video game school. So uh, that's pretty much it for most of uh, Kissing Booth 3. It's a pretty whatever movie. Uh, nothing franchise too much. Franchise as a whole, though. How do you feel here, Quentin? Uh, I like the franchise. I think it's a fun time. I don't have any major issue with it. Uh, what about you? Uh, these movies suck. They're, they're absolutely awful. There, there's no question about that. But these are most definitely a trilogy of movies that are so bad they're good. They yeah. are very fun. If you're okay with having an, an abysmal main character and a relatively unlikable main three, but like three supporting characters are all pretty solid and overall just fun vibes, they're pretty, they're pretty good movies. Yeah, and Elle is pretty, you know, she, she kind of has a good ending. Like, she ends up alone. And I, I was surprised she ended up alone, but I was yeah. happy with it because that should have definitely been her ending. So I, fe I feel like the ending was fine. Oh, yeah. Her ending up alone was the way to end it because no one really wants to date her. And now she has a terrible haircut. And uh, Yeah, I kind of wish I'm Noah fine. ended up with, like, Chloe or, like, some, some random girl in the six years later. I agree. I would have liked if Noah and Chloe got together. Yeah, but, you know, aside from that, I thought, for the most part, it was pretty good. Uh, yeah, it's it's a classic trilogy. It's a good time to watch. I got no issues with it. Uh, here, Tristan, want me to 
list off uh, some of these rules here and you can let me know which ones you think are actually valid. Like, like which ones are actually good rules to follow in a friendship with someone because I feel like some of these right. are pretty wild. Give it to me. All right. So rule number one, only your best friend gets to know your birthday wish. Good uh, or not? Terrible rule. Because if anybody knows your birthday wish, including your best friend, it won't come true. That's true. Yeah. Wish would be rude. Uh, they're 0 for 1 right now. Let's, All right. Let's uh, number rule number two, never share our secrets with anyone else. Yeah, that feels... Yeah, I mean, I feel like any good relationship should be built Austin. If you thought, hey, don't tell anybody about this, uh, I would hope that they stick through that. Yeah, so, yeah oh, um, uh, that's a yes for me. Rule one and one. All right, uh, we're 50-50 here. All right, rule number five, always do the Thanksgiving wishbone with your bestie. Um, sure. I mean, <laughs> that, that, that seems fine. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't seem too possessive. All right. Yeah, that's like whatever. Okay. Yeah. All right, rule number six, if you can't tell your best friend about something you're doing, you probably shouldn't be doing it. Mm. So this rule is worded. If you can't tell your best friend something you're doing, you probably shouldn't be doing it. It never says you can't do it, right? It's just like, it's probably a bad idea. <laughs> Which at that point, I'm like, you're right. It's probably like not the best idea, whatever you're doing. But like, it's okay to make bad decisions. Yeah, but it's not really a rule then at that point. It's just, uh, you know, it's just some it, It's more of just a word of advice. Yeah. It's like, if you can't go and tell your grandma about what you did, would you be proud of doing it? And the answer is like, probably no. If you're too afraid to tell your grandma, you're probably just not proud of what you're doing. Um, so it's like, okay, so should you be doing it? Well, it depends on, on, on what the situation is. Murder? No. Anal sex? Go for it. Uh, do what you want, I guess. Yeah, there you go. Words of the wise. All right, rule number seven. This is one of their more well-known ones. No matter how mad you are at your best friend, you have to forgive them if they give you ice cream. It's a bad rule. <laughs> If someone shoots my mom and then buys me a snow cone, I'm still going to be pissed. All right? Yeah. Yeah, probably. All right. Rule Look, number eight. Hogging dogs can only make up for so damn much, okay? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like Rocky Road is good, but I don't know if it's like murder my mom good. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think this was definitely lions. And I, I, the way that this rule gets used in the movies in particular is frustrating because it's more like a crutch. It's like we can have our main characters do whatever they want. And we have to solve a problem, just go buy Hagen dolls and we're done with it. You know, the problem is solved if you bring a blizzard. Yeah, exactly. And then it's like, okay, so now we don't have to solve any problems. We can create whatever scenarios we want and then have a very cheap and simple solution to get out of it without having to do any actual and the audience will just go for it because it's a rule. It's like if your main character has a click remote, but no no don't no, no downsides ever happen. They just no. keep skipping the problems. All right, uh, rule number eight. Best friends must tell each other if there is something stuck in their teeth or on their face. Yeah, sure. I mean, that's that's just some, <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, that seems solid. I just think that's, like, why even make that a rule? If you could only make 20 rules uh, in your relationship, Tristan, is that one of them? Mm, no, I wouldn't think so. Like, I know 20 is a lot, but, like, uh, maybe if I make it to, like, 50 rules, maybe that's one of them. Yeah. All right, rule number nine. Relatives of your best friend are off limits. Uh, once again, I feel like this probably didn't need to be written down. I feel like this is mostly an unspoken kind of Yeah, kind of, of an rule, unspoken but, rule, yeah. But I think these guys are very literal. If it's not written down, then it's totally fair yeah, game. Yeah, fair game. It's fair game, want. baby. If we really have to be this thorough, I, I would write it down, yeah. If we got to be thorough, this seems like a solid rule. 
Yeah. If one friend is sick or moody, the other is responsible for bringing the supplies to make them feel better. Rule number 10. Fuck that. That's a no from me. Um, You're not a babysitter. If the other person's being whiny, like it's your job to be there for them for emotional and mental support. But it's not your job to pamper them. Uh, it's not your child. You know what I mean? That feels... And the fact that you must be there with the supplies to help them. What if you can't, right? What if you got shit going on that's more important? What, what, what if you don't know how to help them? What if they're mad at you? I mean, there's so many ifs and buts that this, this rule just makes no sense. It seems like a terrible rule and very controlling. Yeah. It should be like, you should be there for your friends in a time of need. I'd be like, yeah, that makes sense. You should be there for your friends in times of need. But like, it is under your authority to make sure they get the care they need and bring all supplies and ensure they are happy by the end of the day. It's like, what? This is too much. It's 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 nonsensical. So that one's a no for me. All right, rule number sixteen: When your bestie needs you there, you need to be there for your bestie. See, that's basically the same thing, but better worded and more likable. That one would be a yes for me. The one that the word said like you must be there. That that's still a little demanding. The wording of it could be fixed, but the 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 intention behind the rule, yeah. I don't. Uh, this is probably the first time I would disagree. I don't like this rule either, just because of the like you need to be there and knowing no, Ellen Lee. I agree. The word the, you need to be there is yeah. too extreme. Yeah, like knowing Ellen Lee. If I'm in the middle of a class and my buddy is like, "Hey, I need you to like come buy like like I don't have any money on me. I need you to come over here and buy me some ice cream or something." Like I'm in the middle of class. Like I not like oh, but you broke number sixteen. You needed to be there for me. Yeah. I think yeah, do you're right. The way the rule's worded, and like the time of need can be. You're right. I didn't think of like a stupid need. You know what I mean? Yeah. I thought this only used for like legitimate purposes. But yeah, no, yeah, I'm, just, I'm thinking of Lee and L how they use this. This would be a terrible rule. You would, but you asked about my friendship, and my relationship, right. which aren't like this. Because I wouldn't have friends like fucking L. Yeah. <laughs> what? You wouldn't? That's crazy. God no. Anyways, a rule number 18, which is one that they use as a crutch for the entire trilogy. Always be happy for your bestie's successes. Immediately, yeah, at first, I'll be like, yeah, that sounds like it. I think you should always... I'll go yes for this one. Yeah, this for one's similar successes. to 16, where if you're a normal human being, this is a good rule. If you are an L, yeah. this is going to be terrible. Yeah, exactly. So I'll go yes for like my my relationships. Once again, L is just a problem. Don't be friends with L. She's a terrible person and not good to her friends. Yeah, rule number 19. Always go to the same school as your bestie. Um, yeah, that's a no for me. It doesn't, I don't see why it's a necessity. Also, I love how we kept joking that rule number 20 is you have to sit uh, in the front seat with your best buddy. No, there actually is a rule number 20. I guess I should have picked a different number. Rule number 20 is terrible decisions are not to be discussed. Oh, that's an awful rule. Which is a terrible rule. Like, I'm surprised. Wait, wait, wait. Wait, go back. Wasn't there a rule that was the exact opposite of this? If, if you're not, if you, what you're doing, you wouldn't tell your best friend. You probably shouldn't be doing it. And now this rule here is, if you're doing something terrible, don't tell your best friend. They, well, they seem very counterintuitive. Well, yeah, so both. number six is, uh, yeah, let's look at the wording here. If you can't tell your best friend about something you're doing, you probably shouldn't be doing it. So that one is just don't do it. Uh, and this one is, if you do do something terrible... Don't mention it. You cannot discuss it. Well, and that's good, because if, if if you did tell him about it, then you'd be breaking rule number six also. Yeah, and yeah, rule number 20, yeah, terrible decisions are not to be discussed. 
How come L didn't throw this one out in, in uh, Lee's face? Oh, I didn't tell you that I was banging Noah, your brother, because, well, I, I just, we just can't discuss it. Could that rule have been written in response to <laughs> Maybe, maybe. Yeah, maybe it's one of those new new and improved rules. Well, then, didn't, like, what's, what's rule number 20? Didn't they add that one? I mean, 21. Didn't they add that one? Uh, I think they did add this one, but I can't remember the context. Maybe you can. Rule number 21 is the final rule. If you see something awesome, show your best friend. No, I think that was one of the general ones they had at the beginning. Yeah, it sounds like it. And, like, what a weird rule as well. Like, oh, look, look at this dick pic. Gotta show it to you. Gotta show it to you, Lee. It's pretty awesome. Yeah, that seems... That seems... Because, yeah, I, I agree. If you see something awesome, show your best friend. But, like, why? <laughs> if I see something awesome that I think they would like, I would show them, obviously. You know? Yeah. But, like, if, if I see something awesome that I think is real cool, but doesn't fall under their interests, why would I bother showing them? They probably wouldn't care. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so, yeah, some weird rules here, you know, some questionable ones, but uh, that is Lee and L for you, and that's the I, kissing booth. I think for a rule of thumb for everyone out there, if anyone ever, if some, you're starting to become friends with somebody and they want to write rules to your friendship, get get out of that, that friendship immediately. Yeah. Just don't. The moment they pull up the pen and paper, that friendship is over to me. That 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 relationship is is a, that one said to me. I, I'm moving on already. That is a that's a no for me, dog. Doesn't that's Sheldon too... doesn't Sheldon do that a lot in the Big Bang Theory? Wouldn't L and Sheldon be like best friends? Well, no, he he had like a contract with it, but that was a contract because the roommates. Of course, you know roommates have it's called a lease. You know what I mean? And but in his, there's a bunch of weird fucking rules, and that he kept yeah. Up. yeah he just has some weird rules as like a roommate, not as a friend. Yeah, like he never had anything with like Penny or, or any of the other guys. Um, Howard or Raj, I think was the other two guys' names. It, it was only between him and Leonard because they were they yeah. were going to have a lease, which is a contract between. Yeah, you know it's friends. weird when L seems crazier than Sheldon because she has these rules that even he wouldn't do. Yeah, and all of his rules were mostly pertaining to the the thermostat temperatures, uh, signed seating, you know, bathroom usage. They were never between, like, the two of them. Like, it was never a like, relationship. Like, you must do this with me. You have to do that with me. You have to tell me this. You know, which those are particularly weird. Um, well, I'm just saying, when uh, when Leonard was trying to get with Sheldon's sister, you think he wished he had that rule number nine. That's true. That was looking <laughs> dumb now, Sheldon. Yeah, Sheldon's like, dang it, I should have done the L rule. That would have been a good one. Yep. Well, that's well, the trilogy here. Really uh, what, what would be uh, what would be your ranking of the trilogy, Tristan? If you had to rank the three films, probably two, two, one, three. Two is very three is very similar to two, but just not as good. It felt less like relevant to the trilogy, like less important to the trilogy. Nothing it added anything new. It kind of used the exact same issue. She wants to go to two different schools, and her friends are going to two different schools. She has to pick between the two of them. So it has the same issue, the same source of tension with her and Marco being flirtatious and Chloe being really great, but Elle being an idiot and not picking up on that. Like, it has the same sources of, of tension. The general plot's mostly the same, but with more stuff that they just make up out of the hat, like a new list, a new house that they go to. And yeah. it trace further away from the roots of the series. So that one's probably just my least favorite because of that. Not that it's any worse in quality than, no. than say, the first or second. But just because it felt less necessary and more yeah, irrelevant. Yeah. No, I agree. It, it doesn't feel necessary at all. I think mine would go one, two, three, like just in the order. 
But for me, yeah, one and two are very interchangeable. Two is more wild, but one's shorter. And uh, your yeah, runtime is a thing I really, I really don't like. Yeah, I wish it was shorter. Yeah, and I watch the montage whenever I like want to show a buddy that's like, you know, if I'm hanging out with somebody, I pull up my phone, go on Netflix on the phone, and th- show them the five minute montage because like I think it's hilarious. So I like that part of it. But yeah, the third one just doesn't add much. But all three are great. I think they're all fun. I like them. Yeah, it's a uh, it's a terrible franchise, terrible, but they are fun. Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, so yeah, that's everything for the Kissing Booth trilogy. We said we were going to do this when the third one came out. Uh, it's been a few weeks, but we finally found some time to sit down to us and discuss them all. Uh, what a great trilogy. I can't wait till they announce and the prequels. And if one ever comes out, you can bet it's your ass. We'll be back here talking about that one too. Oh yeah, I'll be back to discuss the fourth one, the, the prequels, whatever they end up doing. It's happening, the fourth one, uh, at Rachel and Lee's wedding. Why else will they make them get back together at the I think you're right. I think the wedding makes a lot of sense. I'm down for it. Hopefully Elle finally gets a redeeming character arc. We'll see. I hope they just kill her. <laughs> this suddenly becomes like a gore fest. What if it's like a murder mystery? Yeah. Um... And they all have motives to kill Elle. That's true. There's such a big cast of characters that would all have conceivable reasons to murder Elle. Well, this is all leading up to a really fucking awesome murder mystery. Yeah, because everyone hates Elle. Like, she's just the worst. So they all have, like, a motive. Yeah. Who do you think would be the best outcome for the murderer, Tristan? If God just smites her down for being a bitch, that'd be... But an actual murderer... Maybe Chloe. Chloe would be pretty satisfying, I think. No, no, no. Chloe would be the least satisfying. I think the movie would definitely edit her once again as, like, the villain. Like, we think it's her, but it's not actually her because she's just so innocent. Uh, I, I don't think it'd be Chloe. I think I think Noah or Mark, like, one of the two guys, uh, would be pretty obvious but still pretty satisfying. Or uh, or I, I think it'd be hilarious if Rachel. Rachel's pretty much, like, a silent killer. Yeah, that would be fun. That would be pretty good. Uh, but yeah, anyways, that is, uh, you know, hopefully the fourth movie when we eventually come down to it. But that's everything on my interest. Anything else do you want to say before we wrap up the kissing booth? No, that's everything. All right, well, there you go. Have a fantastic day, guys.